Warning, Tongue and Geek contains heavy spoilers. If you haven't read, watched, or played the content being reviewed this episode, know that we will definitely spoil major plot points. Also, this show isn't for kids. We use words like and and it would take too much time and effort to edit them all out. Please don't tell our moms. lovely listeners and welcome to oh shit tyler i think i stepped in something oh what is this uh this is a corny ass intro uh, that's what it is oh man oh oh it's our google feature here at tongue and freak where two more white guys on the internet give their unsolicited opinions on all things spooky Today we're reviewing the 1988 remake of The Blob directed by Chuck Russell and The Stuff by Larry Cohen. Tyler, you want to give us some background on these? Oh, I do, I do. Well, first I'd like to preface this um, by saying that these are our Halloween episodes, obviously. Uh, yeah, and um, obviously. It, has been, it has been noted, I think, in previous episodes that I'm the horror guy. Mm-hmm. Isaac is not. So this whole month is basically just me torturing Isaac with various genre films of my choosing. I'll get him back on Christmas. Joke's on you. I'll be dead by Christmas. <laughs> I'll revive you on Christmas. It's a Christmas miracle. Well, okay. Google feature. And I hope uh, the audience understands the uh, the play on words there. Because Google kind of sounds like it's double. It's like double. Yes. A, a joke is only good when you explain it in clear detail. I'm going for kind of an anti-humor thing, where, uh, like, it's it's so unfunny, it circles back around to kind of being funny. Yeah, I mean, you're almost there. You've gotten part of that equation down. Well, now I'm losing faith in it, so I'll just <laughs> jump, in, jump in the background. <sighs> the Blob, 1988. It is the remake, 30 years separated from the 1958 version. The original starred Steve McQueen in his first leading role, and... For you film aficionados out there, he was pretty much one of the biggest stars in the world in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, I remember. he uh, He's the one that goes Kerchow, right? Yes, Kerchow. Mm-hmm. He is the lead in the Disney Pixar film Cars. Yeah. Sorry, Larry the Cable Guy yeah, and Paul McQueen. Newman. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Anyway, directed by Chuck Russell and written by Frank Darabont. Uh, Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont are kind of a genre double hitter they have very beloved credits to their name uh chuck russell previously directed an eight mile on elm street three dream warriors which is a fan favorite he also directed the mask which was yes which was an early um what's the word i'm looking for um innovator of cgi Uh, and frank we gotta do the mask at some point that's a fun one Mm mm-hmm and uh, Frank Darabont uh, went to great heights with The Shawshank Redemption, mm. The Green Mile, The Mist, and he was also the head showrunner and creator um, of the Walking Dead television show. 
Uh, just to name a few. Big before he got before he got fired and replaced and all kinds. Of, that's not here nor there. Ah. Uh. So yeah, good pedigree for this movie. If you're at all familiar with the Blob, the story is very simple. Yeah, the X arrive. They fought this very obese man, and oh my god. Oh my god! That's two stupid jokes in a row. <laughs> I was on a roll with my background here. Like this is the most great. confident. This is the most confident I've been, and, and you're flushing it down the drain. I, I have to undermine you with stupid witticisms. It's it's going down the drain like so much goo. Like so much goo. Like so much please. goo. Um. Anyway, if you're all familiar with the blob, it's about a spoiler blob that eats people. That's all it does. Um, it's single-minded in its purpose of eating people. Um, it's kind of your typical small American town setting, besieged by an otherworldly threat, and, you know, you have your ragtag group of heroes who have to outwit the beast and save the day. Mm-hmm. Doc Russell, basically, he likes the first one, he likes it a lot, but he's like, this is something that can actually be updated in a way that can make people happy and be interesting. Which basically means we can really go crazy with the special effect. That's the big draw for the movie here. So before we kind of like get into the details, you, Isaac, uh, the non-horror fan that you are, give me some of your first impressions of Ziblob. Oh, okay. Well, like you said, the biggest draw here is the special effects. There's some really impressive stuff on display. I... I am not a fan of the horror genre for the most part. Tyler has been trying to make me a fan. He's been trying to force me to become a horror fan for years. And my enjoyment of the genre is very different from his. I do find some enjoyment in some of the films. I especially like films where they know they're kind of being silly and stupid and they just run with their silly dumb premise. And the blob definitely sort of falls into that. It's just a movie about a big blob that runs around killing people. They, they tie in some like more supposedly serious narrative elements later, but for the most part, it's just an excuse to watch a big blob kill people. And I think that's where this movie is at its best, is just seeing all of the wacky, creative ways that the blob manages to kill people because all it does is just move around and it's basically if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons it's basically just like a slime just like a big glob of death that dissolves anything that it gets close to gelatinous cube would- that's the word I was thinking of <laughs> gelatinous cube oh yeah, yeah I I know what you're talking you yeah. know I honestly wouldn't be surprised if the blob not this one but the 50s one influenced Oh, for sure, for sure, there was some influence there. But yeah, it's like, and there's some impressive ways that it gets people, and also just the way that it looks whenever people get got. The blob itself is just like this big sort of pinkish, gooey thing, of course, but like whenever there's like somebody inside of it, they always do all this cool stuff to make them look all dissolved, like their eyes go missing and like their skin is like peeling off and stuff. And there's all of this. There's so much effort and talent that went into making like these gruesome deaths out of what is honestly like the most cartoonish kind of monster possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I kind of love how there's a legacy in horror of a monster that is just a pile of goo. Yeah, 
And, you know, that's that's fun. Honestly, I think horror is at its best when it embraces how the sort of cartoonishly silly, like, what's the silliest way that a person can die? Oh, they get absorbed into a big pile of goo? Sure, let's go with that. Basically, sentient snot just going around killing people. So, yeah, I enjoyed it for that part. I will say that the story and the characters, God, I can't even remember any of the characters' names, to be honest. Not a single oh. one. There's Greaser oh. Guy, there's Prep Boy, and there's Prep Girl, and there's uh, Crazy Pastor, and there's Sheriff, and there's Diner Woman, and there's Evil Scientist, and there's uh, Homeless Man, and uh, yeah, it, it's all of the characters are tropes. They exist solely for the purpose of progressing like onto more deaths and stuff. Like there is no real depth to these characters. Beyond just serving as things to die. I am offended because I think that the movie is only half good because of the awesome effects. And it's also good because uh, a lot of the characters are genuinely likable and well acted. So, boot you, sir. <laughs> um. Well, each their own. <laughs> Part of it for me is that, and you, I know you love the 80s. You've got big 80s nostalgia. But like... The 80s are so sort of, like, fundamentally... Uh, every 80s film feels like it's built upon tropes in, like, a very formulaic way. And th I know a lot of that is just looking back at that period of time. And I know a lot of it felt revolutionary at the time period. But, like, looking back at the 80s, every... Looking at those compared to now, it's just, like, every story beats every character you can figure them out within like the first 30 seconds of them being on screen just because like we've seen this trope done so many times by now i guess from, an, from a nonsense perspective i can kind of see that i guess you can not to go too off tangent in the beginning but i guess some of that could be um traced back to um the filmmakers who were working on these movies in the 80s they were like the kind of like the first wave of you know horror fans mm -hmm. getting to make horror movies. They grew up on the fifties sci-fi tinged horror and the Universal monster movies of the thirties and forties, and the the British um, reimaginings from Hammer Studios in the sixties. So these guys are bringing all of that childhood, you know, love for the genre and pushing it to the forefront in the eighties to the to the most extreme way. Mm -hmm. So I I guess I could kind of see your point from an outsider's perspective. Um from an idiot what, who doesn't know nothing about the genre. <laughs> yes. And with horror it's it's kind of it's different in a way than like say your your standard kind of drama movie. Because horror so much is facilitated on the duh, the horror. It's trying to elicit a fear response. Um, it's trying to elicit dread. It's trying to, to play upon, you know, primal fears and, and reactions and stuff like that. So depending on the story of the film and what the director and stuff is going for, I, you, you kind of don't need, and this is going to sound stupid, but you kind of don't need, you know, three-dimensional characters in every horror film, oh. you know? Um, because if if you can suspend disbelief at the story and you're interested in that and you can and you can glom on to the characters in a way that you know maybe they might be a cliche or a tropey but they're 
character acted well mm-hmm. or they have relatable characteristics. I think that's really all you need for yeah. an effective horror movie. I think- Not to say that, you know, I mean, horror is like any other story. It, it can encompass any kind of tone execution style, of yeah. course. Yeah. But with more spectacle-driven horror, I think that's pretty much all you need. Yeah. And tropes work because you can immediately identify what kind of character this is. And a lot of times it's characters that we kind of want to see die. Like the freaking, yeah. we'll get to freaking the actual story, but there was one scene with like a very rapey teenage boy who like drugged. Yeah, the girl that's and not an understatement. It's like, yeah, and that's not like, an overstatement. Yeah, we'll get, we'll talk about it in detail, but it's like, yes, I want to see this character die. Like, and that's, that's honestly where I feel like, like I said, I, th- I think horror my favorite horror stuff that you've shown me so far has been the stuff that doesn't take itself too seriously. It plays on these sort of tropes and it just goes for the silliest, most cartoonishly violent thing it can think of when horror is trying to make itself very serious, at least in my opinion, it either hilariously fails and I end up laughing at what a movie that you really like and then you get mad at me because I don't enjoy it in the same way you do or it actually succeeds in like getting me invested and scaring me and everything and then I don't like it because the feelings I don't enjoy the feeling of getting fear out of my media (laughs) I like I like it much more that's not an emotion that I like to evoke through media (laughs) So when I get genuinely afraid of a film, it's like, I didn't like that because it actually succeeded in scaring me. <laughs> that it's, it's funny because the movies I've shown you over the years, like sometimes I can't tell if you're taking the piss out of it because you just you don't like it and you're just trying to be an ass or if it's just your defense mechanism. It's both. <laughs> sometimes it is like, haha, look how stupid this is. And then sometimes it's like, look how, look how stupid I, is this guy. I, <laughs> it's funny. I, because I do remember when we watched Misery. Um, I recall like you not being very vocal during that film. I'm like, oh, I got him. I got him. He's like, he's uncomfortable. He's absorbed in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got him. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, that's misery, and we're talking the blob. Yeah, let's get into um, the blob. Let's get in yeah. and dissolve a bit. Yeah, back to circle on to the eighties. Um, yes, like every other horror fan, I love the eighties. Although my favorite decade of horror is the seventies, but that's not the year nor there. The eighties are known as the era of like practical effects, just like blowing up. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there had been practical effects in every decade of filmmaking prior. But in the 80s is when it really became like a star feature in and of itself. Yeah. And the blob is what I consider spectator horror. Where, like you kind of mentioned, like, it just it sets up people to knock off. Yeah. And I think it's a really prime example of it. Typical kind of cliched setup. Small town. You got your cast of characters they quickly establish. Um, the main character, Flag, played by Kevin Dillon. He's... The wayward youth, you know, he's a good kid at heart, but it's just, you know, he's had, he's had run-ins with the law, he's had trouble with the law, and he's not the most trusted figure in town. He smokes and drinks and wears a leather jacket and rides a motorcycle without a helmet, yeah. which means he's a bad boy. <laughs> yes, he's a bad boy, even though he's like the nicest person in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you have Meg, Played by Shawnee Smith, who is the the cheerleader, the preppy girl. Mm-hmm. And her boyfriend, Paul. 
and then um, Frank Darabont's um, go-to character actor in pretty much all of his movies, uh, Jeffrey DeMunn, who plays the sheriff, uh, Herb, and then a, a bunch of other character actors sprinkled throughout the movie. A meteor crash lands in the woods, and a homeless hermit guy, being the homeless hermit guy, decides, I'm going to go poke it with a stick. Mm-hmm. And he commences to poking, and out comes the blob. And fun fact, I don't know if you picked up on this detail, but when the blob comes out of the little meteor, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's translucent, kind of clearish, kind of opaque. Yeah. But as it continues to eat people, it gets pinker and pinker and pinker and darker yeah. in, in color because of all the bodies it eats and dissolves. Oh, and of course, the more it eats, the bigger it gets until it becomes a threat to the whole town and possibly now spoilers the big difference here aside from the besides you know the updated effects is that in the movie it's just an alien that in comes original, down in the original yeah, movie, you mean? in the original it's just an alien that comes down on the meteor okay in this one you think it's an alien but when the shady military types show up to contain it our hero flag eavesdrops in here and hears that it's actually a government experiment gone awry you know it was used when we were when we were watching this because we watched this together i said something along the lines of at least the military is actually doing something in this movie without being like (laughs) i was just like oh you you didn't say anything and i I immediately thought to myself like ah shit they're evil (laughs) like (laughs) i immediately realized when you didn't respond to that like ah shit they're evil (laughs) i'm like oh isaac don't you know yeah um i forgot the other trope for a second there like the military is either incompetent or evil What I like about a lot of horror and what a lot of fans like about horror is it always tends to have an anti-authoritarian streak. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's not subtle or like nuanced or anything, but there's like a, you know, hey, fuck the government kind (laughs) of kind of sentiment in this movie Mm -hmm. because it was the blob was created for germ warfare. Got out of hand. They lost it in the space and then it came crashing down to Earth again. (laughs) So they have to um, contain it. It's a great metaphor for how the liberals created COVID. Exactly. To, uh, yes. Force us all to wear masks. This is a great film for COVID. Go- good conservative messages. <laughs> the movie is kind of hashtag not- sarcasm. Yes, because the the one person who listens to this that's not in our friend group is going to hear this and be like, "Oh my god." <laughs> Or COVID deniers. Or, oh, Jesus. That's a real 180 from their Falcon and the Winter <laughs> Soldier review. The Blob 88 is considered one corner of the triangle of 80s remakes that are fantastic and mm-hmm. better than the original. Really? Um, the other two being John Carpenter's The Thing and David Cronenberg's The Fly, which we will do later. <laughs> Yeah, to be f- Tyler's not showing me any of the '50s originals. He's only showing me the remakes, which, like, I don't mind. But just like my opinion of the original is non-existent. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, this this one's more. It's got more bang for your buck. <laughs> Sometime down the line, perhaps. And plus, I wanted to gross you out with it. It's true. And <laughs> you see in great detail what the blob does to people in this one, and in the original, you don't see what happens to the blob when uh, it overtakes them. So, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, um, I will say this movie doesn't really scare me, but it did disgust me in a few <laughs> scenes. It was pretty gross, some of the things that happened oh, yeah. in the blob. 
Yeah, I was I was sitting here biting my nails in anticipation for his reactions to some of the gore. There was one point where I was just like, "This is icky." <laughs> Ew! It's just like this is an icky movie. Well, let me talk about the blob itself as an effect. Um, in the original, they just used silicone, I believe, which was a fairly new material at the time, mm-hmm. and they just kind of jiggle it around on like very painstakingly painted miniatures and stuff like that. Oh, that's hot. <laughs> it's it's very cute. <laughs> the original movie is very cute. Looking at the blob and seeing the obvious sort of like paintings that it's slithering across. Yeah. But but in this one, they use every kind of advanced technique for the time that they can. For what they did for the blob in this one is they used a thickening agent for food called um, methylcellulose, I believe. You you drink methylcellulose in your milkshakes when you go to the drive-thru. Oh my gosh. Yes, yeah, so you drink the blob. Yeah. Um, what's good about stuff. it... What's good about it is that it doesn't dry out when you mix it up, and you can manipulate it easily. So they mixed up a bunch of batches of this stuff and put it in what they dubbed blob skirts, or prom dresses, which were just these sort of... I think they described it as sort of like parachute material uh-huh and they like they painted like veins and mem- membranous sort of detail on it and like the blob would just kind of ooze through the material and they could just kind of manipulate it as they saw fit there's you know different sizes sometimes it's just like literally people under the thing like making it move yeah other times it's miniatures composited against green screen and forced perspective and all kinds of cool tricks that if you're into that kind of stuff is just like crack for special effects nerds <laughs> but they they really sell it as an alive being yeah um There's a- you, you don't like it's a big pink blob but like you never you never feel like oh it's just kind of sitting there being a big pink blob it's always moving it's always in different forms it has a purpose so you believe it as a monster and not just like an effect. There's a few places where it's kind of like, all right. I, the one I'm thinking of in particular was like, there's a scene where they're running away from it and it's it's like crawling across the ceiling really, really fast. Yeah, to that, them. that was green screen. That one's, yeah, that one's pretty <laughs> obvious. Like, eh, that's not the best. But there is some like really impressive stuff. I'm thinking specifically like the uh, telephone booth. Like, oh yeah, that's, coming, that's an, an amazing shot. Yeah, because it's like going over the whole thing and like cracking the glass and like absorbing the whole thing to get at the woman inside. And then when they go to the movie theater and it's just like oozing out of like the yeah, it's just all over the place in the movie theater actually. <laughs> like it's just oozing down the walls and everything. It's a mess. Yeah, uh, movie theater scene is pretty much well, not pretty much. Um, it also ate a homeless man in the first movie in the original movie the but scene the, um, ate a homeless man <laughs> the blob sorry <laughs> but the movie theater scene is kind of the only big updated re- redone scene from the original in the remake cuz it also attacked a theater in the original oh cool but um neat speaking speaking of all the cool effects um and and the grossness what part grossed you out the most uh, um possibly some of the earlier ones got me because I didn't really recognize. I didn't really realize how far we were going to go. So like when they take uh, when they take the homeless guy to the hospital and he's all bloated and everything. That was kind of like, eh, that's kind of gross. But then like it gets uh, prep boy. 
And he was a character I was kind of expecting to be like a main character throughout the movie. And he gets got pretty early on. And uh, he's just like reaching out through the blob to like he's like reaching for help, like silently screaming. And like his eyes, I think, have dissolved at that point. And like he's just like his skin's starting to change color and everything. And he's underneath all this crap. And there's like this thin layer of membrane that's like separating him from the air. And it's just like, ugh. I guess this is the level we're going at. So that was pretty gross. Don't forget um, his arm comes off. Oh, yeah. And she accidentally <laughs> rips his arm off trying to pull him out, which is pretty nasty. Um, that and I would say we're going to get to the rapey scene, I guess, sooner or later. But like in that scene where the ooze, I still don't entirely understand how this happened. The physics of this yeah, gets a little <laughs> weird in some places. Don't think about the it. The <laughs> ooze gets into an unconscious girl, basically eats her from the inside and leaving her a hollow skin that still looks like her regular body. And then it rips through the skin as tentacles to catch the rapey guy who's trying to touch the unconscious girl who's now dead. And it's like, there's a lot of like physics shit going on, but it's also just like, ugh, seeing her skin just like dissolve around this ooze. Yeah, she just kind of, she's just kind of hollowed out and like, yeah. kind of just deflates as the blob starts coming out of her. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny that that one got you because... I saw that scene in isolation on TV as a kid, mm-hmm. and I remember it freaking me the fuck out. And <laughs> that says something, because even as a kid, and I'm not trying to sound like, oh, I was never scared of anything. I'm not, that's not what I'm, I just, things don't scare me. Like, that's just not a reaction I've really had for many movies, even though I love horror. Mm-hmm. But I was just flipping through TV one night, and like, I was like, oh, what's this? This looks cool. And then, like, I didn't know what the movie was. And then all of a sudden, this girl in a car just starts deflating and ooze is coming out of her face and it's attacking a guy. And I'm just like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) Yeah. Jesus. (laughs) Those are the two that stand out to me the most, I think. Um, What's cool about that first main kill, um, the jock guy, Paul, um, is that, I mean, that was really him under there doing that stunt. Yeah. So yeah, and and he couldn't really breathe under all that. Oh, so shit. some of the, some of that distress was was real. God. Um, and I also like how you said you actually expected him to kind of be throughout the movie, which means that it worked because Chuck Russell wanted to pull a Psycho, and you've never seen Psycho, have you? Nope. Oh my God, <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> anyway, Psycho is famous. For many things, but it's famous for starring. Don't spoil spo- it for spoilers. me. Spoilers. <laughs> I don't mind if you spoil things for our audience, but don't spoil it for me. We'll probably do this in a future episode. Okay, fine. I won't spoil. Yeah, I get it. Somebody in Psycho that you think would live the whole time dies. Yes, that's well. That's pretty much the spoiler. There we go. There's not many. There's not many people in Psycho. Okay. Do you have a favorite character? <laughs> Favorite character? Um, of, the, of all the people that you don't remember the name of. <laughs> uh, let's see. It, it's funny because I think more with character... Like I said, these characters are very tropey and I really don't remember their names. I really, I really remember more moments of each of them than like uh-huh. the individual characters themselves. That, like, I, what, I'll say this. What I do like about the film is that it lets the female lead sort of be the hero at the end because 
As yeah, she kind of saves the day yeah. more than um, the male lead. This is more jumping than to the end. The yeah, flag gets this big snowblower because um, I guess this is jumping around a lot. We're not really sticking to plot. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's a silly horror flick. The blob's only weakness is that it freezes in cold temperatures. Um, and Flag goes and gets this big snowblower thing that was like foreshadowed earlier in the movie. He starts freezing it slowly, but it like. Get it like flips the truck and almost kills him. And the female lead, who I'm also blanking on the name on, she uh gets out and manages to lead the blob over to the big like nitrogen tank, like liquid nitrogen tank from the snowblower. And she gets it to blow up the tank and destroy it. So I'm I thought that was cool because like. She, it's not that she didn't do anything throughout the movie. Like, she was a key player, and she does do a lot of action that, like, saves people and everything. But I think it was cool to have the female lead be, like, the hero at the end. You know, because a lot of other movies from this era, she would just, you know, the male lead would come in and sa- swoop in to save the day. But, like, no, she was the one who... She was kind of the driving force of the action here. She's the one who saves the day. She's the one who wanted people to investigate. She's the one who got flag to like agree to help people instead of just like running off. So yeah, I agree. Um, I wish Meg, I remembered her name. Meg. 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 Yes, I like Meg. I guess is what I'm trying to say. She also has a horror pedigree. Um, the, the actress uh, Shawnee Smith. Mm-hmm. He is in many of the Saw films. Ah, yes. I never saw um, them. Even, even you would not like them. I probably. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just gonna let let that marinate. <laughs> you would not like the Saw films. Probably not. Um, I know the premise. Even though, even though the draw of the Blob is the Blob and the crazy effects and what it's doing at any given moment, I do think the movie does a good job of making you like most of the characters. Um, there's. There's a sort of, you know, small town charm to a lot of the characters and they kind of subtly subvert tropes, you know, it's like you just mentioned, Meg has more of a heroic sort of moment in the finale than you would expect. Um, I also think the sheriff played by Jeffrey DeMunn, you know, they set him up as, you know, he's the sheriff and he's got a bone to pick with flag. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's kind of just a, a nice guy, you know, he's crushing, he's crushing on the waitress who runs a local diner and he's, he's kind of, he's just, he's a decent guy, you know, he, he, he does, he's not, <laughs> he's not the outwardly dickhead, you know, these fucking kids, you know, yeah. committing, you know, <laughs> crimes against the youth <laughs> in film as they so often are. Yeah. And his little crush on the, on the diner lady. Um, you know, it's sweet, you know? They flirt, and you're like, oh, I hope they get together. She leaves a little note on his check, you know, I get off at 11. Mm-hmm. And then the blob attacks the diner, kills um, the dishwasher guy by sucking him down the sink, <laughs> which um, is probably my, that might be my favorite kill, just because of how outlandish it is. Absolutely. Like, he, he gets, you don't see the blob in that. He sticks his hand in the drain, and then it pulls him down, and then... Well, like, you, you, see it, you see it grab his face real quick, and then pull, it pulls him toward the And then he the gets hole. compressed into a narrow pipe, and it's like, it, it okay. dissolves him so It dissolves him so quickly, it could suck him down. <laughs> the drain of this... this yeah, like, a, like a half-inch <laughs> wide pipe. <laughs> like, it just... <laughs> Uh, and um, it's attacking the diner. Everybody's running, and you know this is the '80s. There's no cell phones, mm-hmm. so she runs to a phone booth to call the sheriff. 
and she gets the secretary as the blob is in, engulfing the box. And it's like, oh, well, he, he, he went to the diner. And then you see him dissolving in the blob, face half melted, rictus yeah. grin. And then she's like, oh, no, it got him. Mm-hmm. And then you feel bad for him. And then she gets it so bad. The shot of the blob is um, actually one of the director's favorite effect shots in the movie because he thinks it holds up so well because of how well the editing is. Her, the actress, Candy Clark, is the actress's name. It cuts from her being there in the box, and then when it breaks through with such force, that's a miniature. Oh. So, and and just just the the overhead camera angle and it breaking through so so harshly, so forcefully, and just engulfing her is just it's a really impressive uh, little effect shot because it, it's totally believable. You don't say, "Oh, that was a that was a rubber dummy," or you know. Something I'll say, and this is a little off topic, but um. A problem that I have with a lot of horror uh, of not taking it seriously, and this is a thing that you constantly get mad at me about, is like I will often just bring up like if they had a gun, this wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> and I know that's a very obnoxious trope to have, but like I can't help it. I grew up in a household where we have guns, and like we're responsible gun owners. But I keep thinking to myself, like, man. If they just went up to this guy who's got a knife with a gun, they'd be fine and stuff like that. But with the blob, it's like, that's not an option. They have guns and like it doesn't do anything because it's a big gelatinous blob and it's immune to everything except for cold. So like, I I think that's uh, in the there wasn't a moment in here where I felt like, oh, they're doing something super duper stupid to try and stop this thing that like they clearly should not be trying. It was more like, nah. Yeah, they're tr- they're up against a very alien weird force that like I would have no idea how to deal with either. I'm glad that this movie managed to, to break that from you for a second mm-hmm. because it is obnoxious. I know because god damn it, Isaac! Like suspend your disbelief. Yeah, I know we live in I know we live in America where every other person has a gun, <laughs> but not everybody has a gun. We live and in the horror, South and, too. I know, but it's just and horror movies wouldn't exist if everybody just had a gun. I know. I and know. also, knowing you for as long as I have, you are the most fight or flight response person I have ever met in my fucking life. I really. Your am. response to everything is fight instantly. <laughs> Neutralize. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So I think your fight response to everything it's either interrupts a- interrupts your suspension of disbelief with horror movies I because really- you're just you're just sitting there in comfort, being like, oh, "Well, they could just do this. Why don't they just do this?" Because <laughs> I do have a very primal reaction to either immediately run away from something or immediately attack it when it threatens me. So it's like, why does not everybody do this? I remember I got mad at you because we were playing Slender, I think. Like, not the original, but like the little bit later. Oh, remake. God. And like, <laughs> y- you, would, you would temporarily freeze whenever the Slender Man would show up. And like, that was just your reaction. Why are you standing I'd just, there? I'd just scream at you for freezing. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I would. I would freeze because a, I'm not very good at video games. Yeah. B, I love horror, and I want to see Slenderman. <laughs> He's the monster. I want to see the monster. Oh, so, like when he would show up, I'd be like, "Oh, cool, there he is!" And like I'd wait a beat or two before I'd run away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like as soon as the screen would start to distort, as it does when he's around in those games. Yeah. I'd be like, <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I got some strong monkey brain. What can I say? Like, Isaac, chill. <laughs> He's gonna get you. <laughs> it's not my genre. Oh, Lord. Um, it's not my genre. It makes me my, feel uh, very real things. Another aspect of this movie that I love is it commits a very big faux pas. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming if you think about it for a second, you can figure out what that faux pas is. Uh, it kills a child. Child. It does yes. kill a child. Um, okay. It's it, it's not unheard of in horror movies, but it's very rare and it's considered a big no no. And they fought to murder a child in this movie. <laughs> Producers were like, mm, "You can't kill the kid." Uh, Chuck Russell's like, mm, "I'm gonna kill the kid." And I remember, um, Meg and her little brother, who she rescued, and and his friend, who she rescued from the movie theater that the blob had just massacred, yeah. are in the sewers, getting all kinds of disgusting diseases in the sewer. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> that kid died of syphilis the next day. Yeah, so it doesn't matter if the blob got him or not. Really? Um, they're trying to escape up a ladder. And he, stupid kid, falls into the water, and she dives after him. Um, I, I, I think the blob grabbed him on the leg, or did he just fall? Uh, no, it, it I sucked can't remember him under. It sucked him under. We saw him. Yeah, hot. that's right. And she dives in after him, and you said, "God damn it! If she manages to save that kid, I'm gonna be pissed." Because like this whole movie, <laughs> the blob just destroys any anybody anybody it touches, and I'm just like. I'm sitting there doing uh, Mr. Burns fingers, like <laughs> Meg pops up, no kid, and then like there's a beat, and then the kid pops out of the water, half dissolved, with the new drug back under the water. Yeah, I'm like yes, subverted expectations again. <laughs> <laughs> there were a few points where I got caught off guard, like as as tropey as some of the characters and story beats are, it does do a little bit to subvert them, and I appreciate that. It, I did not know. I knew exactly how it was going to end with the snowblower, because, like, the second we find out it's weak to cold, it's like, okay, yeah, that's going to be the finale. But, like... Yeah, that's just Chekhov's gun, basically. Yeah, but, like, everything else, like, there were moments where I thought one thing was going to happen, and I got thrown off. And that's 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 what makes a good horror movie a good movie, basically in general. You know? Especially horror being it, thrown off. It runs on surprise. Another aspect I like is the stupid pastor. Oh yeah, um, he could have done by... so much to save everyone. He just he fi- he's the first person to find out that this thing is weak to cold, and he yep. just doesn't tell anyone. They they don't even even like they don't even bother trying to give um the reverend um any dimension. He just he Reverend Meeker is his name. You you meet him when um the boyfriend character and his douchebag uh, rapey friend are at the drugstore getting supplies. Condoms. And like, oh, and like, oh that's a creepy reverend character. And the whole movie he's just a creepy reverend character. He stumble he sees the blob. He's like, oh my god, revelation time! It's the end of the world! Like, he immediately, like, his apocalyptic side is immediately triggered by yeah. the mob. It's just hilarious. And It's weird, because, like, there is a sect of Christianity that is, like, it's our job to bring about the end of days, and it's like, what the hell kind of crazy shit is this? And you would know, you grew up. 
Well, not, around. Not in that. Not, no, not in that. I'm not saying you no, do. But, you... but, like, there is a sect of Christianity that's like, oh, we have to bring about the end times and bring the Lord to... It's like, that's wild to think that your entire philosophy of compassion and whatnot gets thrown out the window to be like, I want the world to end. <laughs> like, that's fucking wild. And that's the kind of character he is here. He's like, uh, one of the, I'm going to be a harbinger of the Lord's retribution on the earth, and I'm going to bring about the end of days. <laughs> By the end of the movie, that's what he's like. And it's his little subplot always kind of takes me by surprise when I rewatch the movie. Because it's not it's not something you expect to see in a kind of like retro throwback movie like mm-hmm. the blob. He goes into the diner after Flag and Meg leave and he goes into the freezer and he sees little crystallized pieces of the blob that were left behind. Grabs it up and he's like, Oh god, what is he doing with that? And you kind of forget about it. You see him throughout the movie here and there, but he's not a, really a major player. I thought he was gonna show up scene, at some point and like explain to everybody that like this is the weakness. Yeah, like, you don't know what he's going to do. Like, you think maybe he's going to be the one that, you know, helps with the demise of the blob or something. But it doesn't pay off throughout the whole movie until the final scene after the danger has gone. They they killed the blob. Oh, he, he, he was also um, <laughs> disfigured, caught on fire. So he's half burned and he's at a tent revival that he's hosting. He's being all doom and gloom and apocalyptic. And then you see him after the revival. He's still got that piece of the blob in the jar. It is now defrosted. You know, he's he's talking about the apocalypse, and he's kind of just like, you know, you know, we'll see how it goes. You know, I think we're going to get a sign pretty soon. The Lord dun, dun, dun. Chuck Russell, the director, swears up and down it was not meant to be sequel bait. It was just meant to be a fun stinger at the end of the movie. But God damn it, it's good sequel bait. It and really like, we never got the sequel. Like the idea of like the sequel happening from like that perspective is amazing. Like I want to see that movie. <laughs> I want to see a crazy reverend like unleash the blob through you know apocalyptic biblical motivations. Ah, <laughs> oh, maybe I should write a fan fiction. Do it. Do it. At the blob too. <clears throat> what else does there say about the blob? Um. We can move on. I mean, we can move on. I mean, I love it. I think it's an incredibly entertaining movie. I, I, I can never get tired of watching it. It's it's one of those effortless sort of watches for me. Every time I put it on, I have a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's pretty much ninety minutes dead on. So it's like the perfect invite a friend over and have a good time kind of horror movie. Yeah. And um, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was fun. Like I said, it's not it's not a movie that I need to see probably that much ever again just because like okay i know exactly what's gonna happen now i might go back and watch it at some point to sort of admire the effects and whatnot but like it's it's definitely a movie that i enjoyed for moments and not the overall like story or character arcs or stuff like that there were parts of the character and story that like surprised me or that I found engaging. But overall, it's really just a big, like what's the most outlandish way we can kill people. And that's fine. That's what it was going for. And it does a good job of doing that. So I enjoyed it. Okay. Well, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth (laughs) because you had a good time and I'll just leave it at that and consider it a victory. Yeah. All right. And part two of Google feature stuff. 
Written and directed by Larry Cohen, who, may he rest in peace, he passed away a few years ago, is a legendary figure in horror and exploitation cinema. The stuff is probably his most famous movie. Really? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, he's got a lot of cult classics under his belt. Uh, It's Alive, which is about a a killer baby. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. The Winged Serpent, which is about a mythical Mexican dragon monster that attacks people in New York City. Mexico. Among, um, yes! I can never fucking pronounce that thing's name right. I think I Thank fucked you, it up sir. there, but like, it's close But enough. yes, that's that's what it is. Yeah. And he has a lot of um, uh, black exploitation movies, crime thrillers, and stuff under his belt. But oh. The Stuff um, is one of his rare critical hits. Yes, believe it or not, when The Stuff came out, it got good reviews. Interesting. And... I think it got good reviews because it's a really funny satire. Now, what it's about, obviously, because the theme of the pod is Google feature, it, 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 it starts. The movie immediately starts. We're in some kind of mining facility. Some guy's wandering up to a pit of bubbling white substance. He immediately dips his fingers in it, tastes it. This is delicious! And before you know it, the stuff, that's what it's called, that's the product, is on the shelves across America, and it is the new taste sensation. But little do the public know that the stuff is sentient, it's alive, and the more you eat, the more it controls you. Are you and eating it, or is it eating it eating you? With the tagline. Dun, dun, dun. And uh, when it's done eating you from the inside out, it expels itself, leaving a gross husk behind. Yeah. The stuff is completely different than the blob in that it's it's a comedy satire it's not it's not really a it's a horror movie but its main goal is to be darkly comedic and satirical yeah larry cohen got the idea because the 80s are kind of known and remembered as the era of like rampant consumerism and materialism and stuff like that yeah good thing we got past that right (laughs) (laughs) yep (laughs) we nipped that in the bud oh yeah um and Geek is brought to you by Coca-Cola products. Purchase a Coca-Cola right now. Stop listening. Go buy Coke. Delicious mm, Coke. We're not boycotting Coke right now, I don't think. We might be. I'm, I'm behind on the times. Ah, who fucking knows? You gotta boycott everything now to have any you really do. moral you really standpoint. Do. No moral consumption under capitalism. You just have to live in a cabin in the woods that you built yourself with your own two hands, and even then you killed the trees, which was probably a squirrel's home or something. So, you know, just, I guess, live in a mud hut. Yeah. Yeah, but just make sure the mud is, like, you know, cruelty-free. Yeah. Anyway, that was a worm home. <laughs> anyway, moving back into the anyway. actual thing. Writer director Larry Cohen. Um, he's one of the artists of the era that kind of saw what was up in the '80s, and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna make a movie about all this consumerist bullshit, and that's where the stuff came from. For it's a it's a short movie. It's under 90 minutes, and for a short movie, it's actually really heavy on plot. Oh yeah, a there's a lot. There's a lot of there's a. I honestly, pro- even though I've seen the movie like half a dozen times, I probably honestly couldn't tell you the ins and outs of you know the corporate espionage angle of it. <laughs> Well, part of that is due to the editing, too. There's some weird... There is some shoddy editing, editing in the movie, yeah. yes. Some stuff that is- just kind of end, and others just kind of start, like, in the middle of things happening, and things just get cut off. It's, like, there's definitely some moments where it's like, okay, they could have, you know, stretched that out a bit more, or even cut off at this point instead of later. It's like, 
Uh, there was some editing shit that definitely was noticeable here. Yes, um, I can't argue that. There is some shoddy technical work in the movie. But Isaac, welcome to the world of horror <laughs> where the low-budget films that aren't polished are the most beloved because that's part of the charm. And what makes the stuff work for a lot of people, and for me included, is that it's weird, it's funny, and it's charming. It's The gist of it is this: this stuff is on the market, something's up with it, and this corporate um, espionage spy guy, Mo Rutherford, played by Michael Moriarty, who is a beloved character actor. Um, And he was also in Cue the Winged Serpent. Larry Cohen used him a lot. Um, He carries the movie. um, He really does. I can't remember any of the other characters' names in either of these movies, but I remember Mo. Because Michael Moriarty, he's a good actor, and he treats the material that he's using possibly better than it should be treated. You're introduced to him, and you just like him immediately because he's such a character. Mm. He he plays the whole, oh, I'm kind of dumb, you know, underestimate me, I'm just Mo. But he's pretty much the smartest guy in the room the whole time. He's a charlatan. He's a fun yeah. charlatan. Yeah. You can't hate him because he's just so charming. Mm-hmm. So, and we follow Mo Rutherford as he's untangling the web of, you know, how the stuff went to market and who's behind it and what's actually going on. And what makes it work for me is that I I just like movies that are big middle fingers to things, you know? And this movie is just a big middle finger to brazen advertisement and corporate manipulation and consumerism. I saw some stuff online where it's also a metaphor for the opioid crisis. Yeah, I mean, you can can read that into it, too, because, you know, it, it creates this insane kind of addiction in people who eat it, like, that's all they eat at one point, you know, just stuff, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. And <laughs> there's this great part with the kid character, who's kind of the second protagonist. Um, his family just starts, like, becoming more and more just like a commercial. He even, at one point, he's like, why are you guys talking like a commercial? <laughs> because they are, because they're just, they're just speaking in commercial slang, like, it's, it's low calorie and good for you, and yeah. you'll love it, and da-da-da-da-da. Uh, it. I lost my train of thought. So that is when I ask you, what did you think of the stuff? I, I really liked, I think I like this one better than the blob. Although the blob had better effects for sure. This one clearly had a more, even with its sort of sloppy editing, it had a much clearer point that it was trying to get to, which was this sort of satire of the whole like commercialism, specifically like food commercialism, where we don't know what's in this product, but you're going to put it in your body and you're just going to consume it and love it mindlessly. And it really plays with that in like every possible way. It, there's a bunch of commercials in the movie for the stuff. And like some of them are so ridiculous. You have like models walking down a runway, barely clothed with like a tub of yogurt, like this stuff that's yeah. being marketed to families and stuff. And they're using like sex to sell it. And it's like, what? what is the marketing angle here? They use like every possible marketing angle to sell the stuff. Just the way that the stuff also kind of works is kind of interesting because with the blob, it's literally like a gigantic germ that doesn't really have a brain or thought or anything. It just kind of goes about and eats anything it comes into contact with. With the stuff, there's like an actual sentience to it. Like, everyone who's controlled by the stuff sort of talks like they're being mind-controlled by it. Like, it has, like, a purpose, an objective, an agenda. 
it, it's never clearly explained what it is other than like I want every person on earth to consume me so that I can consume them but like it makes it a little more interesting because you don't entirely know to what extent the stuff itself is sentient versus to what extent the uh, stuff is just like chemically affecting the people who eat it. I thought it, was, it also leads to some really funny moments. Like there's a scene where the, he goes, where Mo goes to like this deserted town looking for clues. One guy at like a gas station or something is like, I'll be right back. And then he walks away. <laughs> and then like, he, it, it happens earlier and one dude just runs off. But then they find another guy and this guy like walks upstairs and just like the stuff like crawls out of him, leaving him an empty husk and like goes out the window. And it really feels like the stuff is just like, I got to get the fuck out of here. He's asking me too many questions. They're on to us. You've got this sentient slime just fleeing the scene of him. <laughs> it's just like, what the hell's happening right now? It's just so weird and fun. So yeah, I really liked this one, even though it does have that sort of sloppy editing. It's it takes its weird premise to every possible angle oh, that it yeah. can. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. it's just this fun, stupid romp that's also a little clever in places with its, you know, satire of capitalism and all of the marketing that we do for food products and everything. With with movies like this where, you know, the satire is like so on the nose. Oh yeah. People people like to be clever and be like, oh, it's so on the nose. But I always think like, you know, if it's if you see that and you're like, oh god, that's kind of how it is. You know, subtlety is overrated. It you is. Know? I was gonna say that. Like subtlety in and of itself is not of value. Is it's not valuable. It's the use of subtlety that's useful, like valuable. So in some films. You want subtlety. In some films, you need sort of nuance to things. With this film, it's a big hokey story about sentient slime that takes over people. There doesn't need to be subtlety here. You're just making a point and in a fun, creative way. Exactly. I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Yeah. Because when you were talking about the commercials that are in the movie throughout the movie, it's it's bad and funny at the same time because 30, 40 years later... These commercials are still on TV. Oh yeah, you know, just just take the the commercial that the female lead is filming with the swimsuit models and the stuff, mm-hmm. and just that's a Hardee's commercial. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's just a hot chick in a bikini eating a big greasy burger, making you know all the the horned up dudes, you know, yeah, and anybody who's attracted to hot women. Yeah. Oh man, I might want a burger later. <laughs> like, advertisement is not subtle. It really isn't. But it advertisement really hasn't changed a lot. Yeah. And and the fact that a movie that is so you know kind of ingrained in '80s aesthetic and from an '80s viewpoint is still so prescient, prescient today yeah. is like it's a testament to actually how good the movie is from a. Um, cons- conceptual standpoint and execution standpoint, but it's also just like sad that it still yeah. holds up so well in its in its theming and its messages. This is a tangent, but the most recent and upsetting trend I think in advertising is the whole like brands as sn- sort of snarky internet personalities, like the whole like 
Wendy's thing where Wendy's would roast people online and just insult like other companies or people would like throw shade at Wendy's and then Wendy's would sh- throw shade back. That started like a whole trend with like a whole bunch of chains just kind of throwing shade back and forth at each other. And on the one hand, that totally worked because like I was like, oh, man, that's hilarious that like this, you know, gigantic corporation has like one dude running the social media who clearly isn't like on board with the marketing. He's like, you know, not showing that professional veneer. And then it's like, ah, shit, that is the marketing. <laughs> like, yeah, they're creating a persona around this whole like, hey, we're snarky like you, young millennial. We're anti-authoritarian like you, young millennial. You should consume product because that's the cool thing to do. And it's like, ah, shit, it worked. It got in my head. Yeah, like when when KFC is like using its Twitter handle to like curse and like be like, oh my snarky, gosh, and the, like you know something's really wrong. Yeah, and the <laughs> other know? thing that they're doing with just like the meme culture, KFC made a dating game. They made a dating sim. <laughs> Wendy's made like a tabletop RPG, like a D and D style game. We live in a weird era of like meme culture advertising that is very easy to get drawn into because like you see that and you're like how the hell that's so weird i have to look at it and then suddenly you're playing an hour and a half long commercial where you're trying to date a brand logo it's like oh my god it worked yeah i mean i kind of had that i sadly took me too long to have that epiphany when we were playing it because we played it together of course And, like, about halfway through, I'm like, we're we're playing a giant commercial. Yes, we did. We played the whole thing, and we enjoyed it. And that's kind of terrifying. What's terrifying is, like, it still worked. We knew that it was, like, a gigantic commercial and everything, but it still worked. And, yeah, the stuff got us. We got got by the stuff. Yeah. That's... And that's what's so funny about the stuff is that it's a it's a funny name the stuff because you don't know what it is what's yeah. in it it's the stuff but the stuff can be a stand-in for any kind of advertisement for any kind of product mm-hmm. because like not to be big brain but like it's all just stuff you know yeah you know the new fad drink the new item on on the menu at Burger King you know it's stuff the the new technology that they want to they want you to put in your pocket you know yeah. There's a funny shot at the end of the movie. I know we're we're not really doing a play-by-play of the story here, so sorry for skipping ahead, but it doesn't really matter. This one especially um, is all over the place. It's kind of hard to condense the story to a one specific It really is, because the heroes triumph. You know, they, they broadcast eventually that, like, the stuff is bad. It's killing people, you know? Don't eat the stuff. Throw the stuff out. It's a plot, you know? And they show... A montage of, you know, people throwing it out, burning it, <laughs> getting rid of it. Yeah. And at one point you see a, a stuffed restaurant blown up, but... <laughs> McDonald's and KFC are both... But McDonald's <laughs> and KFC are just on either side of that. Yeah. So, like, that's such a loaded image. Yeah. Because, like, it's that's, that's another layer to the commentary, because, you know, if... An, if the news covers, you know, a certain product. Like, oh my gosh, this product's dangerous. It it has this ingredient that can cause sweaty palms and and elephantitis of the testicles. Yeah. You know, then then the public is outraged. They don't want the product anymore, but they still consume all kinds of other products that they don't know what's what it's doing to them. Yeah. What's in it? 
you know, <laughs> it's just an image of them blowing up the, the stuff restaurant out in outrage while like two giant, you know, figureheads of like mindless consumerism are still standing like right next to the, yeah. <laughs> the rubble. It's just like it's it's hilarious. It's, it's such an <laughs> ironic image. Yeah. And and I and I like how like the movie uses like crazy militant conservatives as like a plot device to kind of save the day. Right. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> um so at one point just kind of out of nowhere the main character who is Mo and the little boy whose name I forget and then Mo's love interest who kind of gets dragged along at one point she was like the marketing lead for the stuff and then she finds out that it's killing people and she's like oh shit I can't advertise this anymore I have to tell people about this they go to a fake military complex with this guy who's like former military and lost his mind yeah the colonel who's just like he thinks he's leading this militia and like they're an actual military group, but they're just a bunch of sort of losers in military cosplay. And like they end up being the ones who like save the day, which is weird to have in here. Like, like the movie clearly makes fun of them. Like the, yeah, they're, they're not, they're not like painted as like the heroes, no. but it's just kind of like another layer of like, social and political commentary Mm -hmm. that I can't quite put my finger on because it kind of reminds me of Watchmen by Alan Moore, where at the end of the day, you know, Rorschach, who is, he was throughout the the story, you know, we find out, you know, he's insanely bigoted. Mm -hmm. He's violent. He has like extreme conservative right wing views. But at the end of the day, like it's his resolve to get to the truth that ends up with, you know, the story of what, you know, Ozymandias did in in some big right-wing, you know, newspaper rag. Like, that's the thing that ends up publishing the truth. And, like, it's not saying that, like, oh, the right-wing is, is, is the right, you know, ideology to, to follow. But it's just... I don't know where I'm going with that. It's just it's no, I get it. It's it's confusing because like they are clearly being satirized here. They clear they say a bunch of stuff and they get made fun of for it. Like there's one yeah, the colonel's a racist. He's 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 also sort of kind of hinted at being a sexual predator. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know he is a sexual predator because he got disgraced for trying to solicit um, an underage girl. Yeah, um, he's messed up. He's not a good guy, and the movie makes fun of him a lot, but he is one of the characters that ends up saving the day. And it's just weird to have a character that very clearly is being mocked also play such a crucial role in, like, being the hero here. Like, without the colonel and his little paramilitary that he's got, like, they wouldn't have succeeded in, like, letting everybody know the truth about the stuff. I think... I think it's trying to say that, like, everybody has an agenda because there's that one bit of dialogue, and I can't quote it verbatim, where, like, even though, like, at first you think he's, like, doing this, you know, for righteous reasons, like, the people need to know the truth. At the end of the day, he also just kind of wants to look good, you know? He wants to get back into the good graces of the public. So even his actions are just another form of PR, are just another form of, you know, public being blinded by like the the truth behind you know the image i think also part of it is that maybe it's sort of a message of 
you can have these people with these crazy, crazy ideologies and these crazy ideas about how the world works and they can be used for good purposes. Cause like he gets tricked into helping Mo basically take down the stuff. Like Mo basically goes up to him. And he's like, you know how the commies are creating a bunch of, uh, my yeah, that's a, that's a good point. He's, he's gotta be manipulated yeah. into, He's yeah. he's tricked into helping people because he's tricked with these ideas of like, oh, the commies are out to get you. The commies are out to ruin your life and everything. And like, which is still sadly, I think that might be. sort of like, <laughs> Yeah, it's still around. I think that kind of might be like showing how like these crazy ideas and ideologies, these people who hold all these crazy ideas and ideologies will see them do things that can be considered morally good at times, but it doesn't make them any less crazy or dangerous, you know? Like, we can yeah. see them doing crazy... We, like, just because a bad person does something good doesn't mean they stop being a bad person or that they did the good thing for the right reasons. It's... I'm glad you brought that up because it kind of made the tumblers kind of fall into place. Cause I completely forgot that he, that Mo had to kind of manipulate him with like the red scare to spurn him into action because would the Colonel have gone with him if Mo, you know, said that, you know, capitalists were the problem. Oh, hell no. You know, would have been like, Oh, these, these companies, these, these businessmen, these, these, you know, ad men, they've, they've lied and put a dangerous product on the shelf. Like, can you come with me and, and, and help me? He, the Colonel wouldn't have said, yeah, no, like, I'll been do like, it. That's their God given freedom. Here right. in America. Yeah. They're just yeah, making that, business. That, yeah, that's a crucial detail that I completely forgot about. So yeah, that kind yeah, that kind of made it all kind of fall into place as, as to what I think Larry Cohen was kind of going for there. Yeah. Let's talk about the stuff, you know, as the monster. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Because we talked about how they made the blobs, so we could talk about how they made the stuff. Uh, the I, stuff was a bunch of stuff. Like, they used every fucking thing for it. <laughs> um, when people had to eat it, it was either um, melted haagen vanilla ice cream or whipped cream. Um, they used shaving cream. They used wet cement at some point. They used fire hydrant fluid. Um, it was all kinds of stuff um, to make the stuff. And kind of like the blob, but to, you know, less stellar results. They use all kinds of techniques, techniques, uh, green screen, forced perspective, miniature, a compositing. Of, a lot of the green screens are obvious. <laughs> I, I love when the kid, um, shit, what's his name? Uh, let me look it up. Let me look little it up. Let boy, me look it up. Jake. Little Jason? boy. Jason, yes. Of when Jason is stuck in that empty gas truck, yes, and they're they're piping the stuff in, and like he's trying to like get away from it, but it's obvious just he's in front of a green screen. Yeah, he's just like moving and back they and forth, project the the, the image yeah. onto it later. Yeah, but there's also some pretty good effects. Um, yeah, the hotel scene where like it latches onto his face and it starts climbing up the walls while it catches fire. I thought that was yes. pretty cool. That looks pretty cool. <laughs> That's cool because um, they use a similar effect in the first Nightmare on Elm Street, where they use a rotating room, basically. So they just they they have this they have a room set on this big mechanical device that they just move and rotate to make it look like something's crawling up a wall or down a wall, you know, or something like that. So that's yeah. how they achieve that. Huh. They just kind of had a guy like laying down against something 
against the wall and poured the stuff onto him. But because the set was canted at an angle and because they had the camera at a certain angle, it looks like the stuff is shooting out of the bed right. onto the guy against the wall. Yeah. So as shoddy as some of the editing and some of the more complex effects are like there's some really fun trickery in the movie i love the shot where um jason and the nicole is the the female his name mm-hmm. where they're running away from it and in those metal carts there's a <laughs> shot where you see a big wave of stuff just kind of come into the room yeah and i actually thought that they that that was like live in camera mm-hmm. like happening like with the actors on set but it wasn't that those were two separate elements that they filmed and, and put together in the edit. Huh. So I thought that was a really seamless effect that I thought they just kind of dumped a whole bunch of stuff into the scene as they were in it. Huh. But, but they didn't. I'll say this. Um, I found the models for the people that were consumed by the stuff maybe more interesting than the stuff itself. Because whenever you see like a person who has like finally been completely consumed by the stuff, like they're hollowed out like their mouths distort and have like these big empty like you could big empty cavernous mouths like their faces get all twisted up and everything there's also a scene with like the dog and the dog like vomits up this stuff onto the guy and it's yeah. silly as it is it's like really sort of disturbing silly like that kind of comedy that's like what the fuck am i looking at I think it was really good, like, some of the effects they did with, like, the bodies and stuff. Like, it doesn't look real, necessarily, but it looks so distorted and out of, like, and weird that, like, it catches you off guard every time you see it. Yeah, every time a Chocolate Chip Charlie um, starts stuffing out. Yeah. And his mouth gets all huge, and, like, the inside of his mouth is all, like, weird and dried out. Yeah. Yeah, that always makes me go, like, (laughs) It's gross. And I could watch the grossest shit in the world, but sometimes body horror kind of gets under my skin. Mm-hmm. And just Chocolate Chip Charlie's just giant mouth and the stuff coming out of it like a big white slug. I'm just like, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> Poor Chocolate gross. Chip Charlie. Poor Chocolate Chip Charlie. It's sad because Chocolate Chip Charlie was obviously a play on Famous Amos, <laughs> the the cookie guy. Yeah. And in a sad twist of fate. With life imitating art, Chocolate Chip Charlie was forced out of his own company by the shareholders. That happened to Famous Amos a few years after the movie came out. And then Famous and Anus was consumed by the stuff, uh, yeah. also, by the cookies. I also just called them Famous Anus instead of Famous <laughs> Amos. <laughs> I apologize posthumously. But yeah, um, Famous Amos, he was forced out of his own company that he started to just being a mascot. Oh, So yeah, that's, that's kind of a sad little twist of... yeah. Art, life imitating art. Um, any other highlights of the stuff you want to talk about? Sure. I can't really. Like I, like I said, there's some weird editing stuff, and some of it is like really jarring to the plot. Like I didn't understand why Nicole joined up with Mo. Like there's a scene where he's obviously tricking her to like get some information out of her, and he like asks her out on a date and everything, and he's like pretending to be like a millionaire or a billionaire who's like trying to buy the company, and like, she agrees to a date, and then, like, l- we don't see her for a while, and then later on, she's just, like, there with him in, like, this lab, and they're discussing how the stuff is evil and controlling people and all this stuff, and it's like, when did they, like, when did he reveal himself to her as, like, uh, this charlatan espionage guy? Like, when did that happen between then? 
Well, he he does kind of just like nonchalantly be like, "Oh, I'm not an oil baron or whatever." To her, um, it's kind of a blank you know, miss a bit of dialogue, and um, because everything moves so fast and the editing can be kind of really choppy at times. Um, I think you forgot the scene where they're rocking down the street, and it's kind of like in media res, and she's just like, "Oh my god, like I can't believe this is happening," and then I'm a part of it. That that's her motivation. Like he tells her what's going on, and she changes her mind, and she wants to help. Right, but like, there's not really a scene in between that shows where or why he would reveal that to her, other than like, oh no, no. it's just, it's just like, kinda... it just kind of happens. He's just like, well, I'm gonna drag this woman into this with me. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's 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 not a movie. It's 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 not a movie of like deep character motivation no. or, or anything like that. It's it's strictly. Even though we just talked about how plot doesn't matter, um, it's a very plot-driven movie. It's it's driven by the plot, um, the satire, the comedy, and the effects. Yeah. Um, we can talk about Jason. I I love how his rampage. Jason, I love yes. his rampage in the supermarket. He sees the stuff moving in the fridge one night. And, like, that's enough to completely radicalize him <laughs> against the stuff and just be, he becomes, like, a revolutionary. Like, he goes from, like, zero to 60, like, instantly. It's great. Like, he sees it moving a little bit in the fridge. like, creepy. It's evil. It's, it's killing us all. It wants to control us. And then he's, like, <laughs> he's in a supermarket and, like... It starts off, he's just walking down the aisle, and there's a little kid in the cart, he's eating the stuff, and he knocks it out of the kid's hands, and then he goes to, sh- to the shelves, and he starts knocking off the shelves, and then it just keeps escalating. He like, grabs like a baseball bat or something, and just starts like a mowing them down. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's a comically long scene of rampage, just destroying all the stuff in the supermarket. Yeah. Like <laughs> well, All of the employees are trying to catch him. He, he wreaks so much havoc in the supermarket. <laughs> and at one point, you're just like, they, nobody can stop him. He's unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Like, yeah, you go, Jason. Let's show the stuff what for. Yeah. Which was- um, is sad because he loses his whole family to the stuff. Yeah, there's no real. Even though they win at the end, and like the stuff gets not a happy movie no, at all. Yeah. Like none of the people who got taken over by the stuff live. Like they all died. Like they were eaten from the inside out. There was no saving them afterwards. Yeah, it's a very unsentimental movie. Um, for as funny and goofy as it is, it's actually really fucking dark. Yeah. When you when you stop to think about it, it ends I... with him with Mo force feeding the people who like marketed the stuff, like the heads of the company force feeding them the stuff like the new version of their product so that they go crazy i love that scene i love how they destroy the stuff and then mo is there talking to them and they're like it's gonna come back you didn't do anything we already have a new product ready for market and he pulls that out and it's the taste and like it's like the new diet stuff we're only using like 12 percent of the stuff so it's not going to control people's minds and it's just like that is exactly what they would fucking do. Yeah. That is exactly what they would do. They would, like, put just enough of the dangerous shit in the product, just, you know, to assuage people's fears, rebrand it, put it right back on the shelf. Yep. <laughs> Hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. And then, like, Mo brings in Jason. 
<laughs> you you said, man, like he's seen some shit, like, and then like he ba- Jason basically says, I've seen some shit. Right? <laughs> yeah, so you said he's seen some shit. <laughs> like, it's like, like I lost my family. Like I've been through a lot. You don't know what I'm capable of. And it's like, oh great, this twelve year old boy is like fucking like just like I'm not, ready to burn down <laughs> corporate America. <laughs> but yeah, that was the stuff. I enjoyed that one a lot. Oh, I forgot. The and I thought this was my head canon, and I guess I remember reading this in an interview about it. Um, because I was I was thinking about it while we were watching it. And I'm like, I kind of I kind of like the idea of the stuff being like Earth's answer, you know, to what people are doing to the Earth. You know, it's kind of just like its natural defense system. And that was just kind of like my theorizing. And I was like, yeah, I like that. That's cool. And then in researching for the pod, lo and behold, that's exactly the idea that Larry Cohen had. Oh, he, really? Yeah, he basically envisioned the stuff as just sort of like Earth's natural defense against people. And, you know, what better way to wipe people out than give them delicious, creamy goodness straight from the center of the Earth? Huh. Yep. Neat. I'll have to think on that one a little bit. So, that means two pods into our Halloween a month. Uh... I have so far successfully showed you two horror movies that you enjoyed. Yeah, I enjoyed both of these. Like I said, I like the campy, silly sort of horror that doesn't take itself too seriously. That's really more about sort of what's the craziest way we can kill people rather than actually trying to scare people. Those are those are the horror films that I enjoy. Okay. And both of those sort of fit in this camp because it really just goes like, what's the wackiest shit we can put on screen? Like to ha- the the con the budget be damned. Like, what's the weirdest stuff we can do with a big pile of goo? <laughs> um, I I guess my intuition was correct, so I'm patting myself on the back with that. Because yeah. when I talked to you, I didn't really have to talk you into this. You were game for it, of course. Um, I was like, oh Isaac, we got to do Halloween specials all for October, and he's like, yeah, okay, fine. And I'm like, well, I know he doesn't really like the genre, and it either makes him laugh and it pisses me off. <laughs> or that it makes him uncomfortable and he doesn't have a good time. So I'm like, what can I show him that will like, because I could show you just like the usual suspects, but I don't think you'd like some of the usual suspects. So I'm like, I'll pick stuff that's like more outlandish, you know, that has humorous bents to them and yeah. see how that plays out. And so far it's worked. Oh yeah. So, yeah. The, the, on, the only thing on our list that isn't overtly humorous is the fly. So I'll say this for horror as a genre. I admire the creativity that goes into it. There's a lot of there's a lot of effort put into all of these wild, wild ways to scare people. Because, like, you can go just generic slasher. You can go just generic, like, uh, aliens or mo- monsters or stuff. But, like, when you have a sentient pile of goo dissolving people or eating people from the inside out, like, there's a level of creativity that you've really got to play around with. Like, how does that, how does something as silly as that come off as something that can actually disturb and frighten? <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> um... Because you like the stuff so much and enjoy the satirical angle, I'm thinking I have to augment the list. I mean, we can I was gonna, what you've got for this year. We can all. There will be more years. There will be there more There will houses. be more years, but now that I've got you by the balls, <laughs> I gotta I gotta keep a firm grip. All right. Um, it's your Halloween. You run the Halloween show. I'm gonna run it on Christmas. So I will jump the gun a little and kind of go into Rex. Oh, and okay. this is 
this is basically a tease for probably what I'm going to show you at some point later on down the road. Right. Um, if you like the satirical tone of the stuff, chances are, I mean, if you've seen the stuff, you've probably already seen this movie that I'm about to tell you. They Lived by John Carpenter. Um, you probably know of this movie. You might have seen some of the memes because it's been memed. It's the movie about a race of aliens that have been controlling humanity through subliminal messages. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you put on a special pair of sunglasses, you can see the hidden meaning in all of the advertisements and stuff oh. that we are surrounded by. So if you see a billboard of for like a, a diet drink or something, and you put on the sunglasses, you see that it actually says consume or obey or, you know, reproduce. <laughs> so they live in the stuff go hand in hand. They're a they're a perfect duo just of like social commentary and satire. Mm-hmm. I think I think you'd really like They Live. It's really it's really fun. Okay. Any other wrecks or is that your Um I actually didn't put together a list of wrecks because I was just so happy just so happy to be doing this pod. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw um, I'll throw my wreck out there. Go watch Flubber. It's got goo uh, in it. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus uh... There's a gooey little boy. There's a little boy, and he's made of goo, and Robin Williams teaches him love. I actually haven't seen Flubber in years, so I don't actually remember the plot other than Robin Williams makes a pile of goo, and it lives. I mean, God, I don't remember that movie much either, and I used to love it as a There's kid. also a female robot assistant that Weebo! she loves him or something, and then she <laughs> dies. Yeah, she dies! I used to break my heart as a kid. <laughs> this cute robot named Weebo, I think its name is Weebo. Yeah. And, like, I think she gets bashed to death by the villain. Yeah. But then she comes back, like, in a newer, more sleek form it's at like the end. Weebo and... 2.0. It's not her, though. Yeah. It's, like, a it's like a daughter version of her or something. Like, uh, the original I, Weebo. I don't did, remember I the details. I think. I details. Blubber's going I, on the list. <laughs> not the Halloween I, list, but in general. I remember being kind of disappointed in Flubber because, like, I kind of just wanted it to be more about the Flubber. Yeah. And it's you know? really about Robin Williams, like, trying to, I think, be a regular person and fall in love with this woman or something. It's weird. Yeah. I'm like, don't advertise me a movie about green goo that's having a blast and, like, is really bouncy and stuff. And only give me a little bit of the green goo that's having a blast. You know? <laughs> like, I want I want more flubber in my flubber. More goo. <laughs> give me more. I like goo as you <laughs> Just found out over the course of an hour and a half through this podcast. Goo is fun. We're not going to do nerd ethics for this one because I don't really feel like... I think for anything yeah. ethically to- <laughs> I mean, like, there are ethical messages in the stuff, but, like, it's already so on the nose, there's no point in arguing about it. Like, let's just jump into review review. Oh, God, review. Oh, this is going to be interesting. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Rotten Tomatoes does not like these movies. Oh, well, I mean, Rotten Tomatoes doesn't aggregate um, a lot of old reviews for older movies. Yeah, okay. Well, they really did a piss-poor job then, because The Blob has 62% critic reviews and 56% audience. Really, di- People really didn't like The Blob. Uh, here's one from Tony S. Tony says, Incredibly brutal horror flick, superb effects, and horrifying death scenes that are sadly coupled with stilted dialogues that unfortunately do not make characters any favors in making them interesting. 3.5 out of 5 stars. Kind of my take on it, although I think I wasn't as 
disappointed in the characters because there were a few moments where they surprised me. And yeah, there's uh, some surprisingly brutal deaths in the blob. Yeah, um, I th- I think that's might that might throw people off who like you know might go into it blind. They see a movie called The Blob, and like oh that's that's gonna be a fun silly movie, and then they see like people being dissolved in all kinds of disgusting, messy ways, and be like, oh, this isn't what I signed on for. Funny you mention that. Robert P. says, who wants to see blood and guts all the way through the movie? 1.5 out of 5 stars. Uh, me? Okay. <laughs> Excuse you. That's, that's horror as a genre. Like, I get it if you don't like horror, but, like, this is a horror movie. If you go into a horror movie and says it was too horrific for me, that's well, there's there's a lot of snobbery in the horror fandom. <laughs> Gasp! There's a there's snobbery in a fandom. <laughs> you say what? A lot of horror, horror fans love gore. Mm-hmm. Horror fans love blood and gore. But occasionally you get the person that you know wants to poo-poo the violent stuff and be like, "Oh, it's all so lowbrow," and I don't understand. How people can enjoy just seeing blood and guts on the screen and da da da. And I understand if that's not your taste. That's perfectly fine. Like, yeah. Even though, like, horror movies have been historically, you know, have been huge hits and stuff like that and have been cultural landmarks and stuff, it's still, for the most part, a niche genre. A lot of people don't like horror, (laughs) as evidenced by you on this (laughs) one. And I think it's just because, like, it's just, it's like you said, it's it's a feeling, it's an emotion that people don't want to tap into, don't like tapping into, and like it shows people visuals that they don't want to see, and it makes them confront certain things that they might not want to confront. So I notice a lot with horror for me isn't like not as much unsettling during the watching or the playing of it, but like the imagery that gets stuck in my head and will like give me nightmares and stuff like it lingers because of the mental state you're in when you watch movies or play games or stuff is this very like open taking in sort of experience. Yeah, I can't really say I disagree with any of that. I think a lot of it also has to do with it, it goes back to suspense. Um, and also kind of ties into your reactions again. Like, I think because horror makes people uncomfortable um, on a fundamental level, that makes them pick at it more. Because I, I think, I theorize that that's kind of your reaction to it. Like, because we've watched all kinds of different movies and shows and genres together over the years. Yeah. And you, you don't pick at anything logically like you do horror. Like, <laughs> like you 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 bring out the you know the I'm gonna nitpick this you know machine yeah. far more with something that's supposed to be scary or horror and than you is. do with an action movie or a superhero movie or a comedy. It very or, much is a defense mechanism for me because with nitpicking with other stuff, you know, sometimes it's fun to nitpick something just because you know it's fun to like sort of pull apart the threads and whatnot. But, like, with horror, it's like, yeah, it can be fun to do that, but it's also, like, if I can pull apart the threads, then I won't be afraid of it anymore, because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad, you, glad my theory's right on that, because that's, def- that's definitely how it comes off. It, it, oh, it's, and, it's absolutely a defense mechanism. And horror is like any other genre. Um, horror's not all blood and guts, which a lot of people who aren't quite into it don't understand. There's there's this weird kind of other form of snobbery with horror where like 
people only want to call a horror movie a horror movie if it's just like blocky and violent and gross. Mm-hmm. But if, if something like is more nuanced, more quote unquote sophisticated, all of a sudden it's not horror. It's a psychological thriller. It's yeah. just a thriller. It's like, no, like it's, it's a horror. Like horror movies aren't just gross and bloody. There's, like some of the scariest movies of all, all time have basically no blood in them at all. Right. You know, there's, there's still this kind of weird prevailing notion that horror is only lowbrow, only lowest common denominator. And it's just, yeah, it grinds my gears. Some of, some of that has to do, <laughs> some of that has to do with like the unclear definition of genre. When we talk about a genre of movie or game or whatever, sometimes we're talking about like specific aesthetic elements. Like we talk about the superhero genre where we're talking about people who put on costumes and have secret identities and fight crime and whatnot. And then sometimes when we talk about a genre like horror is like we're not talking about a specific aesthetic. We're talking about like themes that exist and ways of presenting aesthetics that evoke specific emotions and a lot of different things can fit into that subcategory. So like a superhero movie can be a horror movie. Um Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was the one not the X-Men but like the what was that more recent one we watched with like the mutant kids that were at like a uh Oh, New Mutants. New Mutants. That was Yeah, New Mutants is a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. it's a horror movie. It's presented as like something horrible is going to happen. Um, also that one, I think it was Bright Shine or something. Where Bright Burn. Bright Burn, where it's like an evil Superman. Like there's a super, like an, a horror superhero movie. Like horror as a genre is more of the greater arcing genre in the same way that mystery is a genre or action can be a genre. It's like you're looking at specific themes that are represented in a multitude of ways, but try to evoke like a particular emotion through it. Yeah, and, and something being... Scary is there's there's not one thing that's there's not one way to do scary. Scary yeah. isn't just like one thing. Yeah. Um, horror and scariness isn't you know something that just pops out and goes yeah. like even though that can be scary, that's often scary. Um, and and I do love a well executed jump scare. I'm not one of those jump scare snobs. I was like, oh, this movie has jump scares. It's shitty horror. It's a very but, easy primal way to invoke fear. It is, and when it's done well, it works great. But horror, to me, is also so much ideas. Yeah. And how those ideas are executed. And it, you don't, like I said, you don't need a drop of blood in a movie for it to be fucking terrifying. Oh, yeah. Like, it's also cross-genre. Um, horror and sci-fi overlap a lot. Yeah. There are so many terrifying concepts in sci-fi that wouldn't be labeled horror just because, you know, it deals in these sci-fi concepts of aliens and spaceships and technology and stuff like that. Yeah. But like horror and sci-fi are just are bedfellows a lot of the time. Same with mystery. A lot of horror mm-hmm. relies on not knowing what's going on or who's who done it. Like a lot of that relies on it being like a mystery. And uh don't make fun of what scares people, you know? Some people like you know, uh how could you find a killer with a knife Scary. That's in a bunch. That's in thousands of movies. That's not scary. That's cheesy. Or how could you find ghosts and demons scary? Those aren't real. the The real monsters are what's scary. It's like fear and how you react to it in in like in art. It's it's abstract. Like it it it's not 
it's not something concrete and tangible that you can always put your hands on. Like, we're not scared of the blob. You know, it's a big purple monster that eats people. But I can see how somebody can be afraid of it. It's it's this single-minded organism. There's nothing anthropomorphic about it at all. It's a germ. And all it, all it does is consume. And it consumes in such a voracious, horrifying way. Like, I... I could see how that as a concept can terrify people. It's a it's a scary idea, you know? It's just this single-minded thing with no purpose other than to just consume. That's terrifying. Yeah. Like, can't be reasoned with. Can't be stopped yeah. by conventional mm-hmm. means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well uh, And we're kind of we're going off on a tangent, but I'm in my element here. <laughs> the Terminator, the first one. Um, a lot of horror fans consider it as much of the horror movie as it is an action movie. And if you haven't seen it in a while, kind of look at it through the eyes of it being a horror movie. Cause you'd be like, ah, it's, it's a very moody movie. You know, it mostly takes place at night. It has a very spooky atmosphere. It's about an unstoppable thing that has one goal and it systematically goes throughout the movie, just taking people out. It's a monster. The Terminator is a monster mm-hmm. and how it's shot, how it's framed, it's supposed to be scary. It's meant to elicit fear. It's not just a pow-pow, bang-bang action movie. It's a horror movie as much as it is an action and a sci-fi movie. Mm. So you can find horror in all kinds of things if you just look for it, if you look underneath the surface. There's plenty to be scared of. Let's do one more for the blob before we do a few for the stuff. I forgot <laughs> Yeah, we're still doing review review. <laughs> we went on a big tangent. Robert really pissed you off. Uh, like I said, I am in my elements. Uh, this one's from JS. Jay says, Saddened the Reverend did not take the opportunity to discuss the value of a woman and the goodness of waiting for marriage when he caught the high school parishioner buying condoms while warning him about its sinfulness. But what should I expect from Hollywood? Also, painting the Reverend the way they did in the end, although appropriate for the context of the story, only furthered the perception that Bible believers are crazy. Three out of five stars. You had to go out of your way to find the offended Christian. (laughs) I didn't go that far out of my way. It was pretty... Okay. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to thump on religion. We've got our opinions on religion, and that's something completely different from what we're talking about here. But I do have to say that value of a woman might be the most cringy phrase I've ever heard. At in- first, I thought this was like a troll post, but then as it went on, I'm just like, oh god, this person's serious. <laughs> when you're talking, oh god. The value of a... And I know what sort of maybe they were getting at, but, like, value puts, like, this monetary dollar amount. It has, yeah, like, this like, sort of, like, connotation of, like, you have to know what a woman's worth, what she is valued at. It's like, that's, that's so creepy. Like, it's such a creepy way of phrasing that. And, like... And what is this person watching The Blob to begin with? <laughs> And why are they looking for it to, like, reaffirm their religious outlook? Exactly. Like, like, why are you looking at a B-movie horror flick for, like, good depictions of Christian values? That's not... That's not what this sort of film is for. Oh, God. Of of course. (laughs) Uh, I was just a weird one that I came across. 
You do you, whoever reviewed the blob and through the through the religious lens yeah. of the value of a woman and Yeah. You value your women, Jay. Value them well. Let's move on to some reviews for the stuff. The stuff, interestingly, has a higher critic score. It's got 71% critic. It's got a lower audience score at 45% audience. <laughs> this one's weird. This one just cracked me up when I saw it. This is from Mr. Andre Locust N. Mr. Andre says, Hello, reader. I find the stuff film to be an entertaining film, and that is why I own the DVD. 3.5 out of 5 stars. I mean, hey, that's an endorsement. That sounds like somebody who has eaten the stuff and is trying to sell it to somebody else. <laughs> Hello, reader. <laughs> Consume media. I, I am not. An, an an earthly goo that has invaded a person. I am human, man. Telling you to 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 watch the stuff. I am a person. <laughs> There's some in here talking about the uh, editing and stuff, but we've already kind of touched on that. Here's one that maybe this person's confused, or maybe I'm confused about their interpretation. I don't know how to pronounce their name, but I'm gonna give it my best shot. Weom H says. It's terrible in many ways. Horrible acting by Paul Servino and Michael Moriarty. Stupid characters, disjointed scenes, and choices of action. But at the same time, such an oddity that it's worth the detour. It's strange because it seems a point against consumerism and the zombification of advertisement. But at the same time, it's very busy at being pro-capitalist, anti-communist. So I'm not sure it fully knows its own point. Shouting its dumb American pro-militarism at the top of its lungs, it shows us the good guys fight the bad goo. Three out of five stars. And I think this is sort of where we were trying to parcel it out earlier. Where yeah. Like, there's like this very clearly satirized like group of proto-military like idiots, but they are the heroes. They are the ones who allow mo to like save the day so i can see where that kind of muddies the waters a bit for some viewers yeah i can understand it but like we were discussing earlier the movie goes out of its way to like because the military people that come in in the third act are the most cartoonish people in the entire oh, movie yeah for sure so it's it's definitely not a ringing endorsement like no. I, I can see how somebody could kind of like suss out that like it's not going all the way with its commentary. I mean, I think it does. I don't think it's pro-military at all. I don't think so either. If if anything, it's anti-military because it shows you just how, like... Because the colonel is an amoral son of a bitch who's racist and sexist and <laughs> sees commies everywhere. Yeah. And, and is violent and gung-ho. Yeah. I don't know, person who reviewed, maybe kind of look a little deeper. I know it sounds silly to look a little deeper in a movie called The Stuff, but it's written, it's a movie written with purpose, like underneath the kind of shoddy filmmaking of it. It's written with purpose and with an idea. Yeah. And it, it goes all the way with those ideas. Oh, Lord. Last, last review we're going to do. This one is from Jake C. And I'm probably going to mispronounce a bunch of this stuff, but this is one of the, you'll see what kind of review this is. Oh, God. <sighs> Poor Lacanians, and yes, I can already hear the groans. 
There is a distinction to draw between objects of desire, objects are MacGuffins, and objects of drive, which Zizek defines as an embodiment of enjoyment. No doubt the titular stuff fits the latter description, and extraordinary protuberances bubbling up from the earth itself. Whether or not it is extraterrestrial or some chthonic entity is never made clear whose growth cannot be stopped, indestructible and threatening like the similarly face-hugging libidinal xenomorph. In this way, the stuff is an irresistible metaphor for Reaganite consumerism, the acephalic impulse of late capitalism to consume and be consumed, death being the only option, as death is the only drive. 3.5 out of 5 stars. Um, I'm really torn here because this person liked the movie and understood the movie in in the ways that we understood it. Yes. But but what the fuck is with that review and how it's written? Like I am I hate people who try to sound erudite by just using the most like I want to I want to give the benefit of the doubt and be like it's just somebody just trying to come off like a up their own ass snobby critic with like word salad, mm-hmm. but like it just the where where we are now with the internet, I don't know. I d- I don't know well, anymore. If it is they went out of their way because they literally pulled up like a whole like set of philosophy and a few quotes from the philosopher who established it to have yeah. this sort of discussion. This is this very much rings like I'm a first year philosophy student and I'm trying to impress my stuff that I learned in class on every single aspect of my life. Yeah, like the stuff isn't a stupid movie. It's an intelligent movie. In a lot of ways, but I. But here's the thing. Why, why the, is this the movie you choose to vomit this word salad onto? I've, I've got no problem with people digging deep into these films and finding all kinds of philosophical and ethical things that they find interesting. That's the, what we're doing. Oh yeah, completely. We've got a yeah. whole section called nerd ethics that we do in movies. But like, okay, I I literally have a master's in communication. The entire purpose of communication is to communicate your thoughts and ideas and opinions and feelings to others. When you're going out of your way to find the most, like, impossible language to parse out, like, you're purposefully being hard to like hard to interpret you are failing at communication for the sake of appearing like you're more intelligent than you are all of these terms and all of this stuff that this guy said could have been said in a much simpler way that gets his point across so much more clearly yeah just i I don't know why he chose an obscure horror satire to to do this with like the only people that are going to be watching this stuff are people like me who love this kind of shit and who forced it upon their friends like <laughs> Joe Blow and Jane Blow aren't, you know, going to watch the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Use this on something more popular if you, if you want to, you know. This is this is a big part of why I didn't go on and get my doctorate because I got so sick of just reading people talking out their own ass with the way they write their language, and that being like the ex- expectation of like intelligent thought is that you're not supposed to have good ideas. You're supposed to express ideas of any level of quality in ways that sound smarter than they actually are, and that's bullshit. I hate that. As somebody who's who's been in higher education for a long time, it's such it's it it contributes so much to the sort of anti-intellectualism that we see in this country, because like people look at this stuff and it's like, okay, you're just being a hoity-toity asshole who thinks they're smarter than everybody else. And like just kind of finds a light on the insular kind of, you know, snobbery of academia. Exactly. Exactly. Learn to talk. Exactly. Exactly. Learn to talk good. (laughs) Let people understand what the hell you're trying to say. It's not that complicated. I love that because we're doing this, watching the stuff and looking up reviews triggers you (laughs) during your PhD. Like, PhD studies just, ah, it brought me back to my days in academia. uh, It's just such bullshit. (laughs) I, I understand that some concepts require specific terminology that's going to be hard for laymen to understand. But a review of a horror movie that's about a bunch of goop that's, like, anti-capitalist, that's not that hard to put into... I just explained it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) anti-capitalist yogurt. That is the movie. (laughs) That sounds like a name of a good punk band. It does. Anti-capitalist yogurt. (laughs) Thanks for coming out tonight. (laughs) Ah, boy. Anyway, that does it for review review. Um... Tyler doesn't like giving ratings because he's afraid the numbers might activate some sleeper agent to come and assassinate him. But I'm proud to give the blob Tongue and Freak's first ever 25 out of 37 victims of gooey gore. And I'm proud to give the stuff Tongue and Freak's first ever 700,000 out of 1 million metric tubs of stuff. Mm, Okay. Okay. They're both really good. Uh, (laughs) They're both really fun wrap it up for the layman to, to use that term again um not in a condescending way but um for people who are kind of more on the surface with horror i think they would mostly enjoy the blob more because it's got a bigger budget it's more polished whereas the stuff is rough around the edges it's got a cheaper look and feel to it it's more overtly silly but if you're into this kind of shit or you're curious to get into this kind of shit two thumbs up for both of them mm-hmm you slimy, slimy thumbs up. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us here at Tongue and Freak. Um, Tyler, you want to take us out? Do I want to take you out of the podcast? Yes, I do. Yes, I do, because I love you. I like that this outro song is changing every episode. That's the I like that I, I like that I just had that just out of my ass on the fly. It's just in your soul. Just needed that yeah. out.